0: If you're able to kindly stand in reverence to the Lord's word, we're going to be reading two portions from the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. The first portion will be verses 21, or rather, I'm sorry, verses 13 through 21, and then verses 27 through 34. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of the covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. which thou hast provided, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Thank you, church.
1: Let's turn to First Timothy chapter 6. We've been doing a series in Timothy. Today will be the last message, and our children can go to their children's church at this time. I personally benefited from First Timothy. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. I'm excited about doing a new series on the parables, which, um, you know, the parables are more familiar to us. But what I do, just to let you know, when I do a new series. I, I try to find some really good books on that subject. Like I bought a really a bunch of good commentaries on Timothy, and now I've bought some good reading material on the parables. And then I that will give me a fresh look at the parables, and hopefully we'll study them together and really get a fresh look at the teachings of Jesus in his parabolic teaching. Just also want to mention uh, Benjamin ben, Benedict Francis. Brother Ben has been a member of our church for many, many years, took a really bad fall in Grenada on his back and had a spinal surgery, still has no movement in his legs, and he's now in a hospital called Calvary Hospital in the Bronx. If, if you would like to visit Ben, you will get a blessing. And the, the parking is nice. It's a small little hospital, actually, and they have a parking lot right by the hospital. It, it costs like $5, but at least you don't have to walk a mile before you get to the hospital. So, but I, I visited him on um, this past week and I was just praying with him and I read Scripture and, and when I got done praying, I looked up and he he had just tears just streaming down his face. I said, Ben, you're crying. He said, Hallelujah, Jesus! You know? And um, he's in a tough situation. you got to pray for him. 1 Timothy chapter 6. As we come to this last section, verse 17 to 21, there's really two sections, but I'm going to just put them together and i wondered why would why would paul conclude this epistle dealing with these two disparate subjects one he charges the rich that are in the world and then he he finishes with a charge to timothy i was like well what connects these things why why is he charging those who are rich in the world and timothy to finish this so let's read together first timothy chapter 6 verse 17 Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And please read verse 20 and 21 with me together as we conclude 1 Timothy. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, take this moment of time that we have to understand Your Word and apply it to our lives that we might be more like Jesus Christ, Your Son. And we thank You now for this time. Bless the, the preaching of Your Word, Lord God, and we trust that hearts will be open to receive the truth of this passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name, Amen. So. You left work so excited. You were never, you were like, I cannot believe this happened! What happened? You got a bonus! $10,000 bonus! You didn't know it was coming! You, you were just blessed! And, and so you got, wow, I gotta pray about what to do with this! So you're gonna go to the bank and you're gonna deposit in the bank and just pray about what to do with this $10,000 bonus! So you go, you deposit your money for safekeeping in the bank, and then a week later you look at your account, and there's only five thousand dollars there. It's like what? I deposited ten thousand. It only says five. You go to the bank. You say, "I need to speak to the manager. I deposited ten thousand dollars, only five in there. What's, what's going on with this bank?" And, and and the manager says, "Calm down, calm down, Mister Recker. Let's have a seat." He sits me down. He said, "Now, we have some needs in the bank, and we needed that money to repair the bathrooms. You should still be happy. You have five thousand left. Be happy, Mr. Recker. We took your ten grand, and we. If you still have five thousand. You can do a lot with that. We needed that other five thousand dollars. You think I'm going to be happy with that? Would you be happy if you deposited that in the bank?" You That bank would not be in business very long, would it? But here's the point. God has made deposits in your life. And dare say we're like the bank who thinks we can do with the deposits God has given to us. We can do whatever we like to do with it. We're God's bank. And what ties this passage of Scripture together is... He's given us material deposits and so He addresses the wealthy to remind them, your wealth is not your own. And then He reminds them of their spiritual deposits that He's given to the church. So this morning I want to speak to you on this subject of being entrusted with God's riches. God has truly blessed us as people, as individuals. Given us life. Given us breath. Made in His image. And He's also prospered us with material things. Not one person came in here today without clothes on. You've come in with clothes. You came in with food in your belly. And you probably are going to have something to eat later on today. And that makes us rich in comparison to much of the world. So I did wonder what connected these two passages of Scripture together. And I believe, at least that could be it. That they deal with God's great deposits in our life. So I'd like for us to look at in being entrusted with God's riches and God's deposits. And, you know, God has truly blessed us in material, in material ways. Don't think when God says here, to, through Timothy... Charge them that are rich in this world. Don't think that he couldn't be talking about you. You say, "Well, I'm not rich. Well, you're not rich compared to you know some multi-billionaire." But think of the rest of the world. I think I got these numbers right. But if they're not exactly right, you you can go online and Google. But that's what I tried to do. But I, I believe I got these numbers right. And I found out that the median per capita household income worldwide is $2,900, $2,900, uh, $2,920. $2,920. Now what median per capita means is if you were to line up all the billions of people in the world and then just look at the person right in the middle, that's the median, that's the average. And the average, if you were to line up all the billions of people in the world, boom, right in the middle, the average is that median person, their household brings in $2,920 a year. But if you were to do that to the United States, pile up all the people in the United States from the richest down to the poorest, the middle is seventy over $70,000 median per capita for every household. So, What's the percentage of difference there? You could figure that out. But basically, we Americans are rich in comparison, not only to the rest of the world now, but to the rest of humanity that has lived before us. And so we have been entrusted with God's great riches. And both of these sections deal With deposits given to us. One is a material deposit. And the second is a spiritual deposit. So let's first look at this material wealth that God has given to us. The material wealth. And there's two main things Paul says about this. When he says, charge them that are rich in this world. And he says there's some hazards that they need to watch out for. He says, charge them that are rich in this world. Now does Paul say... Charge the rich to sell everything they have. Now, that's what Jesus told the rich young ruler. But is that what every rich person is supposed to do? To sell all their... No. He says, charge the rich in this world, and He doesn't condemn them for being rich. Charge the rich in this world. You should feel guilty for being rich. No. The rich don't. shouldn't have to feel guilty for being rich. They're not charged to sell everything they have to become poor. And being wealthy is not a sin. It is a responsibility. And so Paul is addressing those with material wealth, though, and to say, yes, there are hazards. There are pitfalls, dangers in wealth. Are there not? And what are the dangers there? He says that they be what? not. First of all, not what? What does it say in the text? Verse number 17, that they be not high-minded. Because possessions can produce what in our lives? What can possessions produce? Pride. Sometimes those who are rich can feel so superior to, the, to those who have less than them. And that's a sin. Don't ever look at someone who has less than you and look down upon them as they are less than you. They are not. We are all equal image bearers of God. And God ha- has blessed the person who is poor but rich in faith, as much as the person who is wealthy but has faith. God doesn't give us all the same. He just doesn't. He doesn't give us all the same mental capacity. Some people can go study and understand certain things and make a lot more money than I can. I was in school with around the time Bill Gates and Steve Jobs were were going to college. And look how much money they make compared to me, you know? I didn't have that ability. But possessions can produce pride. And we must never let wealth delude us into having a superior, haughty, or as the word Paul uses here, an, a high-minded attitude. That's a sin. So that's the first hazard. The second hazard is not to trust in those riches. He says, charge them that are rich, not only that they not be high-minded and have that sense of superiority, but that they do not trust in those riches. And wh- how does Paul describe those riches? What are they? They're what? You got your Bible open? Verse 17, it says, what are our riches? If you're rich today, is it a sure thing that you're going to have that money next year? No, it's not a sure thing at all. Because riches are what? What are they called there? They're called uncertain. They're called uncertain. You know, many people have been rich, lost it all, got it back, and lost it again. Riches are uncertain. Don't set your eyes upon that which is not. Riches can be like an air bubble. Proverbs 23:5. They make to themselves wings. Riches can fly away like an eagle toward heaven. The scripture says, isn't that true? Don't trust in your money because riches do not profit you in the day of judgment. When you stand before God, God's not going to say, what kind of car did you drive? Oh, you only drove a Hyundai. And not a Mercedes? Sorry, buddy. Ah, no. Come on. It says in the Bible, Proverbs eleven four: 4, riches profit not in the day of wrath. Righteousness delivers from death and the righteousness that delivers from death is the righteousness of Jesus given to us by grace through faith. A righteousness we don't deserve. And that's true riches. True riches... Is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why we sang this morning, knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. He's my all. Jesus, you are my all. You are the best. You are my joy. You are my righteousness. We sang, didn't we? He says, don't to trust. Don't trust. You know how easy it is to trust in your riches? And you know what happens when a person trusts in their riches? Because some people will think, Oh, look how rich I am. God, it must have blessed me the way I got this money. Maybe they got it through wrong means, but hey, God's blessed me now. I got all this riches. So, God's blessed me, so therefore I must be, I must be okay and with God. They're trusting their riches for their salvation. There's a lot of wealthy people that are going to die and go to hell. Like the rich man in Luke chapter 16. With all of his beautiful robes, he left it all behind. And he was in hell, being destroyed, if you will, eaten up by the flames. In conscious suffering. Riches can make a person become secretly ungodly if you're not careful. Because when you trust in those riches, if you trust in those riches, you'll say, oh, I don't need the Bible. I just, I've just, i got money. I don't need to pray. I've got money. And you wouldn't tell anyone that you're not reading your Bible. You wouldn't tell anybody that you're not praying anymore. But you've become secretly ungodly in your heart, trusting your riches. And you need to turn away from that and go back to Jesus and get back to prayer and the Word of God. So those are the hazards. We need to realize possessions can produce pride. And we need to refuse to trust in those uncertain riches. Now, how do we handle the wealth? So we looked at a couple of those hazards. How about the handling of that wealth? And that's in verse 17, the end of it, and down to verse 19. So how do we handle it? Well, first of all, he says we don't trust in those riches, but we trust in who? we trust in the living god and, and go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 the living god he says trust in the living god 1 Timothy chapter 4 Paul reminded us here in verse 10 for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the who in the living god and what did the living god do for us he's the savior of all men the living God sent his son to be the savior of all men especially of those that believe. We trust in the living God. Do you know how you show that you're trusting in the living God? It actually one of the ways that we show that we trust the living God is how we use our money. Money is actually a litmus test of our faith. How we use our money is a real practical gauge to determine how is our faith doing. In other words, somebody once said and I agree with this pretty much. You could look at, if I were to look at your ledger of income and expense, what would I find there? I would find something about what you believe is important. What are you buying? How are you using your money? How are you giving? Are you faithful in your giving and, and the things that you're purchasing even? How are you using those things? It shows who you're trusting in. Really, money is a litmus test of our trust. And one of the things here he says though, regarding money, and this is a good thing, what a positive thing. God is not a Grinch. It says God gives us richly all things to enjoy. So in other words, with our money we have to realize in order to, to, to handle it well, who gave it to us? God gave it to us. To handle our money well, we have to realize who gave it to us. Every, every penny we have in our bank account and in our pocket comes from the Lord. It says He giveth us. And how does He give us? What does it say? How does He give us? Is He poor? He gives us richly. And God gives us richly all things to enjoy. So if you have money, you can use that money to return thanks to God that God has given you that money and enjoy the money. You know, you could do good things with money. You go on a vacation with your family, He gives you richly all things to enjoy. It's a good thing for a family to go on vacation, especially in New York. You've got to spend a lot of money. So you spend a lot of money real fast. Look at a a verse real quick here. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This is not carnal to, with your family, go to the store, buy a nice porterhouse steak, get some baked potatoes... Have some broccoli. Oh, you see, I don't like broccoli. Get some Brussels sprouts. Oh, I hate Brussels sprouts. even worse than broccoli. Okay, whatever. Green beans. Okay. And have your family around the table. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. If I find it, I need to remember where the books of the Bible are. I've been using my phone so much I forgot where the books of the Bible are, huh? Yeah, uh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. No, no, I'm I'm seriously a little concerned with the young people today that they won't know where the books of the Bible are because they never opened up the Bible. Anyway, well, I won't get into that. Ecclesiastes chapter five, it says there in verse what nineteen and, to, and to, uh, verse uh, verse eighteen, verse eighteen. He says, "Behold, that which I have seen, it is good, it is comely." For one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he takes under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him. If you do it all in the sight of the Lord, realizing God has given you that, that's a good thing. It's not, it's not unspiritual. It's a spiritual thing to come together and enjoy a good meal and fellowship and rejoice that you're able to enjoy the the. the Result of your labor," says this is the this is the gift of God, for he shall um, verse 19. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God, for he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answers him in the joy of his heart. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but you know, have you ever seen people as they get old? They don't remember. They get dementia. They lose their mental capacity. So enjoy your mind and ability to enjoy the people in your life while you have. And you, you can use your money to do that. Amen? So trust in God, not in gain. That's the first counsel Paul gives to the wealthy to handle our wealth. Trust in God and not gain. The second is. Take positive action for your wealth. Now here he gives in verse 18, I won't get too much into the weeds, but basically it's like three verbs. And the verbs are do good in verse 18, be rich, you see, be rich in good works, and then be ready to distribute. Those are the three verbs. So let me put it, I'll give you the, I'll make it into R's. It says do right, be rich, and be ready. Do right. Do good. With your money, do good. Don't go on the internet and purchase all kinds of wickedness filth. Don't use your money for sinful pleasures. Use your money for good. And then he says, use your money to be rich in good works. If you have money, you have an opportunity to do good for somebody else. And then he says, be ready to distribute. And as you, you use your money to do right, to be rich in good works, and be ready to distribute, there's a word he says at the end that kind of ties it up together in verse 18. He says, willing to communicate. And we get our word fellowship from that. That's the, that's the root word for fellowship. Koinonia. So in other words, money is a tool to bring people together for fellowship. You know, here's a, an, what a simple illustration. You don't need a lot of money to do this either. So, church, thank you for our homeless outreach. We went out yesterday on the streets. What a blessing that we had. There were about six of us. Who went? Brother Vinny and Brother Bill. I don't, I don't want to forget anybody here because help me out. Anna and Raul. Who else went? Oh, I'm sorry. Great. Grace. How did I forget Grace? Grace. God bless you, Grace. So, Raul and Anna and I went out as one team, and, and Vinny and Grace and Bill went out as the other team. And we just go out, we got our little you know, carriage, and we, we, we put a bag with a turkey and cheese sandwich, and a water, a gospel track, a pair of socks, and a t shirt. Very simple. And so, we, and we each have one of those little, you know, shopping carts. Thank you. And so we go out, and we're, we're just meeting people along the way and trying to engage them. We had some really good conversations with people, but this is the one that struck me so much, because there was a, a man walking, that was right on 42nd Street, we just passed Bryant Park. 6th Avenue and we're right on 42nd Street there and a man you could see he, he had material need and maybe homeless and as he was walking my way I, I went up and I offered I said would you like this and he he almost went, looked afraid of me he looked like I, I was gonna maybe try to hurt I said no it's okay everything's all right we just have a bag here with some uh, we, ha- we made a fresh turkey and cheese sandwich and and we have a, a few other things. He said, no, I don't want it. I said, well, would you like the bottle of water? He said, yeah. So he said, I want the water. So I took the bottle of water out, and he opened it up. And Anna was there. And Raul, they're my testimony. He guzzled that like he was dehydrated, like he needed that water to survive. And right there I said, you know what? If that's the only bottle of water that gets drunk out of all the other things... And if that's the only person who eats or drinks anything from the food we're giving out, it was worth it right there. That was worth it to me. To watch him guzzle that whole bottle of water in the, in the sun on 42nd Street. And so, he just went along. And then we went around and came back. And when, when we came back, we came back to Bryant Park. And he was sitting on the steps of Bryant Park, right at Sixth Avenue. And you know what he was doing? He was putting the socks on. And I was like, Praise God. I mean, just a simple thing. But it's an illustration of what Paul is talking about right here that we can use our wealth to fellowship with others, to be ready to distribute, to be rich in good works. Even a cup of cold water, Jesus said it, in my name, will be rewarded. And so, beloved, use your material wealth to bless other people with. Have them into your home. Have them with for a meal. Take them out for a meal. Maybe there's somebody who has a, a need and, and needs some, some clothes or they need a pair of shoes or whatever. But But praise God for the people in our church who are kind. I have a few quotes in your bulletin. A kind heart leads to a generous hand. If a rich man can share his wealth with others... And find enjoyment in so doing. That's a good one. Can you enjoy sharing your wealth with others? According to this text, we should be. And we'll be blessed for it. It says, then he is using his wealth as God intended. The third way to handle our wealth, not just to trust in God and not gain, and then take positive action with your wealth, but treasure up your riches in heaven. And that's the Scriptures we read today in the Gospels was about putting your treasure in heaven. And Paul makes us think about the teachings of Jesus here when he says in verse 19, lay up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. What's the time to come? What's the time to come? We're going to die. And we're going to meet Jesus. And we're going to be in heaven. So... What is heaven going to look like for you? What is heaven going to look like for you? You know, you are, it's this passage, I don't know if I have this wrong, but he says you lay up a good foundation against or for the time to come that you may lay hold on eternal life. So how you use your money now is a way you're showing you're holding on to eternal life and you're giving and fellowshipping with others for your money for their spiritual blessing and you are building a foundation in your heavenly home by how how you use your money here. Go to Matthew chapter 6. What did Jesus say? We read those verses in Luke earlier, but what did Jesus say? Something very similar to what we read. But look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. What did Jesus say? Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Where moth and rust doth corrupt, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And where thieves break through and steal. I mean, remember the rich fool we read about? Who was he thinking about? Was he thinking about anybody who had need? Was he thinking about the, the widow whose, whose cupboard was empty? Was he thinking about the little poor boy whose stomach was empty? He was thinking about himself. He was so full of self. He was empty of God. He was so full of covetous. He was empty of, of any thoughts of, of the, anybody else's needs. He was laying up treasures on earth, not in heaven Jesus says, The moth and the rust just corrupt that. Thieves can break through and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Look at it this way. I won't name any names, and there's nothing wrong with what I'm going to say. Just as it's an illustration. Okay? So our dear brother is going to retire to Trinidad. I won't say who, but he's sitting right back there. Okay? <laughs> And in order to go down to Trinidad and retire down there, he's got to have a house down in Trinidad. So he's working up here, sending his money where? To Trinidad. There's nothing wrong with that, brother. It's okay. You don't give every penny you make to the church. No. Okay, so he's trying to work here, build a house in Trinidad, so he can enjoy his retirement. Nothing absolutely wrong with that, but that's a good illustration of what we do with our money here. When you give to the work of the Lord, when you give to missionaries who are building a church in Japan, who are building a church in Brazil, who are serving God in Ukraine, or working for God in South Africa, and we have missionaries all over, all around the world, praise God, and we're, we're trying to, to send a box of things to the Philippines. So we're laying up our treasure in heaven, when we give to our brethren for the building of churches, the salvation of souls, the discipling of, of men and women in the faith of Jesus Christ, we're laying hold of eternal life. So that's how we handle our wealth. Trust in God, not gain. Take positive action with your wealth. Treasure up riches in heaven. Now, what about our spiritual wealth? Verse 20 and 21, and he concludes, O Timothy, keep what is committed to thy trust. Avoiding profane and vain babblings, oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. That's very interesting. We have been given by God spiritual riches the riches of the Word of God, the riches of the Gospel. The riches of the work of Jesus Christ. Do you know how blessed we are to live at this period of time in history? That we live post cross, that, that we can look back and say, Jesus, we know he died on the cross. We know he rose again. And yes, we're looking forward to his coming. Don't think we don't, don't think it's a mistake, you're alive now, and don't regret that you don't live some other time. Be happy that we're alive right now for this moment. We've been given great spiritual wealth. Look at 2 Timothy, real quick, go to verse 14. What's the spiritual wealth we have there? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. He says, well, verse 13 says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to thy trust, which was committed unto thee. I believe it's the, the, the Word of God. The sound words. And then how do you guard? How, how was Timothy... Timothy, to guard what was entrusted to him. What does verse 14 say? How was he to keep what was given to him and guard it? By who? By the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living in us will help us guard the truth. So we must guard the, the deposit that God has given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, this is how a lot of Christians are. Sleep on the job. You're not, guarding the, you're not guarding the Word of God. You're not trying to get the Word of God out. You're like, oh, this is boring. When is the sermon going to be over? Man, it's almost 1230. Okay, I'll try to get you out. But we are rich in the Word of God. So here's an illustration. One of the most famous paintings in the world is the Mona Lisa. A great artistic masterpiece, and it it resides where? It resides in, in Paris at what museum? The Louvre. You guys know that. From what I've understood, it's been on exhibition outside of the Louvre on only two occasions in the past century. So imagine given the responsibility of moving the Mona Lisa and delivering it to where it would be exhibited. Imagine all of the guarding of that great painting would take place. But imagine if you were given that responsibility and as you looked at the Mona Lisa, you would say, you know what? I think her hair is too dark. I think we need to brighten it up a bit. And her dress is so drab. Let's, Let's put a little flower on her dress at least. And the background needs a little more to it. It's... It looks like there was an earthquake back there, you know. And so so rather than deliver the Mona Lisa the way it was given to you, you want to change the Mona Lisa. Can you imagine anybody doing that? I can't. But yet people do that with the Word of God. We people do that with the Word of God. Our job is not to change the Word of God. Our job is not to refine and make it look better for somebody else. Our job is to preach the Word. God has given us His Word. We cannot improve the Gospel. We cannot improve the Word of God. We're to keep the Word of God. So that's the first thing. He says keep. Guard. That's the first thing we must do with this great spiritual deposit. Is guard the deposit. The second thing is avoid false teaching. Now, this is such a... This is such a deep statement that Paul makes here as he concludes this book. Just just follow this. He says, beginning in verse 20, look at that word, avoiding. You see that? So the, the two verbs here are keep which is to guard and avoid. So those are the two main points here on our relationship and responsibility to our spiritual wealth. We have to... To guard the wealth that God has given to us. We don't change it. We don't correct it. We preach it. We keep it. And we avoid false teachings. And He says, avoiding profane, vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called. Now there's a whole lot to unpack there, but I put it this is how I reworded that a bit to help us. Just to understand it. Avoid. He says, turn aside. That's another synonym. Turn aside from profane. Now that word profane is the idea of anti-God. Or it's godless. Turn aside from godless. And then he says, vain babbling. Empty babbling. Empty chatter. And then he says... And oppositions, now these oppositions, that word profane, which is anti-God, modifies both, in the text it modifies, that word profane modifies both the vain teachings and the oppositions. And the oppositions is, in other words, I mean, Paul is exposing how this world is working. So, we need to really pay attention to this. He is exposing the modus operandi of this world, and what this world is doing to the truth so that we turn aside from it. we got to know how they're operating. This is how they're operating. They are profane, anti-God, anti-babblers who are teaching the very opposite of the truth. When it says oppositions of science, it's they're opposed to knowledge. That word science is the word knowledge. It's the word gnosis. We get our word knowledge. Science is knowledge. That's what science is. Science isn't what we think. Science is what we know. And that's why that word is used. And I'm thankful that the translators use that word there. So, we need to avoid this godless, empty babbling that is directly opposed to true knowledge. Why? Because while that babbling is, is the opposite of the truth, guess what this world wants you to believe? That it's true. They tell you a big lie, something the opposite of the truth, and they pawn it off and sell it as if it's the truth. It's taught as a fact. That's what it says. Oppositions of science, falsely so called. Oppositions of knowledge. They're opposed to true knowledge. And then they pawn off lies as if they were facts. And then he says that will result in great spiritual tragedy, compromise. They will err. They will err concerning the faith. That's what's happening today. People are swerving away from the truth because they've been believing a lie. This world system hates God. Be not conformed to this world. The world hasn't changed from the days of Paul till now. The heathen rage; the people imagine a vain thing. Psalm two. They still consult to cast God down from His excellency. Psalm sixty-two. They delight in lies. They curse God inwardly. They teach as fact what is false. Islam is the opposite of the truth because Islam says Jesus did not die on the cross or rise again, and He did. Jehovah Witnesses is the opposite of the truth because Jehovah Witnesses teach that Jesus is not God manifest in the flesh, and He is. Roman Catholicism is the opposite of the truth because Roman Catholicism teaches us salvation by works. And we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith alone. False theories in this world are pawned off as fact. That's why we need to know the Word of God. And Satan is always putting forth godless things that are directly opposed to the Word of God and claims them as fact. And what Paul says here, you could apply to every. Year every century of church history and you will find the lies of Satan permeating the culture. And it's the Word of God that will always stand up to the lies of this world. It's the Word of God that is truth and will forever endure. In the 2nd century, you had the Gnostic heresy. Gnostic. What does Gnostic mean? It means knowledge. So they came along and said, Jesus isn't the truth. This is the real truth. It was the opposite of the truth. Gnosticism attacked the truth of, of the Word of God. And of course, the evolution heresy of the 19th century that plagues us to this day. Evolution parades itself as science. You know what that is? That's an opposition to true knowledge. It's false science. There's nothing scientific about evolution. Because it's not science at all to say something comes out of nothing. You cannot scientifically say that nothing can create something. That is not science. That is bad faith. I like what Henry Moore says, by the way. Henry Moore says that there's no evolution in the Bible. Did you know that? The Bible does not teach evolution. I'm talking about macroevolution. I'm not saying that there cannot be variations within a certain kind of species. That's not the point. But evolution is a false evolution science that's put forward as, a, as a, if it's an absolute fact. Isn't that the truth? Right? And that, that fits exactly into what Paul is saying. And yet many have believed that. And when you believe in this lie of evolution, you will believe in many other lies and you will swerve away from the faith. Beloved, believe that God is our great creator. And there are many examples as well that we could talk about, but our time is gone. And just lastly, let me finish this up. We need to turn aside from these things because as I said earlier, this is the modus operandi of the world. They put forth their anti-God false theories, present them as factual science, proven or proven truthful knowledge. And then we need to avoid these things because, why must we avoid it? Because they cause serious spiritual danger. So parents... Be alert to these spiritual dangers because they will cause our children to swerve away from the faith. And again, notice what it says in verse 21. It says, which some professing, that word professing is translated in other places, promising. In other words, they're promising that their false science is true. They're promising, oh, this is true. But it's not true. And they will keep they will keep promising it even when it's proved false, and that 's what 's happening today as well in so many different ways i'm sure you, you heard about target, for example you know it's amazing how our young people are just being targeted and it's This whole LGBTQ is being put forth as, oh, this is the truth. It's the opposite of the truth. But they're pawning it off as if it were true. But it's a lie. This is why we need to know the Word of God, dear friends. We have been entrusted with God's riches. Let us stand on the riches of God. Let us use our material wealth for His glory. Let us guard the spiritual deposit He's given to us and tell somebody about Jesus. Let's stand up together as we pray, as we close today. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you for your true promises. Yes, Lord. All the promises of Thine are yes and amen. Thank you that your promises, as Paul, as Peter even says, are exceeding great and precious. Exceeding great and precious promises. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the promise of Jesus that you are the Son of God the Savior of the world, and all who call, whosoever will call upon you shall be saved. And if there's anyone in our midst today who has not yet been saved, if you will truly understand that you're a sinner, and because of your sins, you deserve a punishment, because of your sins, which is death, separation from God, ultimately in a place called hell. And that's why Jesus came to die on the cross, To bear that punishment. To take your place. To suffer your wrath. And mine. And the world's. But then He died and He was buried. And He rose again and He smashed death in the teeth. He crushed Satan's head. And through Jesus Christ, you can have eternal life. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Who would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not sure if I die today that I will go to heaven. But I want to know for sure. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Is there anyone like that? Can I see your hand? Is there anyone at all? God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you. Is there anyone else? I want to pray for this one who raised their hand. So, Lord, thank you, God. Please touch this dear dear one who raised their hand and said they're not sure of salvation, we pray that today before they walk out the door that they would know that Jesus, You are their Savior from sin and that they would be saved even today. Now how many would say today, Pastor Matt, I want to thank God for the material wealth He's given to me and the, the spiritual wealth He's given and I realize I've been entrusted with these riches from the Lord and I want to trust God with them. I want to use them for the glory of God. And I want to guard the Word of God with my life. And I want to please God and not fall prey to the lies of this world. Can I see your hand if that's your desire? You've been entrusted with God's riches. And you want to be faithful. Amen. Just hold your hand up and say, Lord, strengthen me by Your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you to teach you. The Holy Spirit is in you to strengthen you. To guide you. To empower you. To be strong in the Lord and be strong in His grace. You may put your hands down. So thank you now, Lord, for this day and bless us. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if that, that one who raised their hand to if you would like to step out as we sing, we would love to have somebody take the Bible and show you how you can have salvation. Micah,
0: can you come please?
1: And we'll sing together more love to thee.